0: You're about to die or pass out. Or you got to have a bite to eat or things are going to really fall apart for you. You don't have to experience that. If our heart is right, the Lord will strengthen us. Amen. I mean, I don't mean that it's not right with God. If it's right regarding fasting, right, that's a, that's an important clarification I supposed to make. So um, I'm encouraging the whole church to fast. If you can't do a Daniel fast, then some other kind of fast is fine. For 21 days, we're going to be going before the Lord in prayer and fasting. So, everyone says amen. Those of you that were here on Friday, I want to thank you. I know you made a, a special effort. want to encourage you also to keep coming on Fridays. We have our discipleship Fridays, and that's important. And uh, we're grateful for the members of our good church. Well, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, if you'll stand with me, we'll read it quickly. Here's what the Bible says. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, I'm not going to preach about this, but I'll just make a quick mention of this. This scripture is, because is, 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 uh, I'm not talking about Christology, but this scripture is a scripture that affirms the deity of Jesus Christ in that Prior to this, only God gave people the Holy Ghost. And then when Jesus Christ comes onto the earth, which is God um, with us, or God manifested in the flesh, now he says, I'm going to be giving out the Holy Ghost. And so today what I want to talk to you about is the third part of our vision statement for our church, or the third uh, adjective, we are a healthy, growing, apostolic We are a healthy, growing, spirit-filled apostolic uh, church. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be spirit-filled. Now what I'm going to do, next week I won't be here. We're going to have, but I am going to be speaking for the next two or three weeks, maybe a little bit more than that, on what it means to be a spirit-filled church. And um, I think that's a really important point. I hadn't intended to do this. Um, but I'm going to do it because as I was thinking about this and studying that there's so much there that we need to think about as a congregation. If we're really desiring to be a people of God that are filled with the spirit of the Lord. And so you're going to be with me and we're going to take this little journey together and um, we're going to see what the Lord ministers to our hearts regarding being filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord. And we thank you for being gathered in this house. And for every one of our brothers and sisters that are here. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bless those of us that are gathered. And bless our brethren that are not able to be here today. The grace of the Lord would be upon them. And as we hear the word of God, Lord, let us receive with faith, believing and trusting in your name and in your power. Jesus' holy name we pray. And everyone says amen. May maybe see it. So when we think about what our church is, again, this is a statement that I think is important for us to think about and maybe even to memorize, that is that we are a, uh, our, our vision is to be completely holy, a, um, a healthy, growing, spirit-filled, um, apostolic, cellular church. That's, that's our vision. That's what we hope that our church is going to eventually become in, its, in, in greater and greater ways. Um, today, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about what it means to be a healthy church. And uh, then last week, I spoke about what it means to be a growing church. And um, although the messages aren't complete and total, I think they're sufficient, at least enough for us to understand what it is that I mean by those terms. Today and the next couple of weeks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about what it means to be a spirit filled church. And that's huge. Spirit field is a is, is a huge definition for the church. If we're a healthy church, I think that's really important for us. And if we're a growing church, I think that's really important. And um, and and cellular, I think is important. But spirit field is essential. This is not a this is absolutely crucial to who we are and who we should aspire to be as a church. So let me start off by just making a couple of declarations. And the first one is this, that we, as here at Hosanna Apostolic Church, believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, the initial evidence. So that is our creed. We're a Pentecostal church. We're we're a spirit-filled church. And what that means is that our creed, our belief, is that when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, The initial evidence of that baptism is going to be that you're going to speak with other tongues. And uh, I think that's been the experience at least of most of us that are here today at some point or another. You know, when we, after we were saved and Christ came into our heart and we were baptized, we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Some of us received it before we were baptized. Um, But irregardless, the point is this, that The baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe, the Holy Ghost, we believe is a normative experience for believers. So believers, whether you're, um, uh, you know, anywhere in the church, a normative, a normal part of our experience, a common experience, uh, should be that we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking, the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. That means this. It means that, when you receive the, the Holy Spirit in salvation, there isn't going to be other fruit, other evidences that you're filled with the Spirit. There certainly are. But the initial evidence that you're filled with the baptism of the Spirit is that you speak in another tongue or in a language that is unknown to you. Now, um, if there's anyone here that's a believer and that you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've given your life to him, uh, you, you're, you're, you're living for God. And you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, it is something you should pursue. In fact, the scripture that Brother Carlos is reading, Carlos, Brother uh, um, um, Saul was reading this morning um, about if you ask your, you being, you know, evil, your children ask you good things and you give them bread and you give them, you know, good gifts, how much more shall your father you know give you the holy spirit if you ask him and the point is that if you have not yet received the baptism of the holy spirit it should begin with this desire in your heart and just this asking him god just fill me with the spirit and it isn't this desperate kind of oh my god i got to get this or i'm going to hell kind of a thing i don't believe that at all but i do believe that it should be this 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 desire this 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 con- consistent expression in your heart god I want the Holy Spirit baptism. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever lay it aside. It's an essential. It's an important thing. Don't ever minimize it's important in your life. We need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're going to talk about that spirit-filled church today and what all it means. Now, I think that there's three markers. And I'm sure there's others. I'm not going to worry about others today in this series of messages. But I think there's three markers that you are a spirit-filled Christian. And there's three markers that a church is a spirit-filled church. And the first one of them I've already mentioned. A spirit-filled church or a spirit-filled Christian is a Christian who has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in another tongue. In other words, you come into the presence of God and God fills you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and at some point or another in your life, in your Christian experience, you, you begin to speak in a language that you just don't know. You might be alone in prayer. You might be in a congregation of the saints. Someone may be praying for you. minister may be laying hands on you. It happens different for different people. Uh, my Sunday school teacher, Brother Ralph Carrillo, years ago, I remember that he said that an evangelist had come and he was praying for people to get the Holy Ghost and he came to the altar and said, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. And God didn't fill him with the Holy Ghost. He went home disappointed, got up in the middle of the night, went into his room and started to pray, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. This this is what you promised me. And right there in that little room, in that closet where he was by himself, God just filled him with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he began to speak in other tongues. So, What I'm saying is this, that if you'll ask the Father, and ask the Father, is not a desperate plea? It can be that, but it's not that. It's just, God, I want to be filled. God, I want the baptism of the Spirit, that you never forget it, never shelve that request. So the first marker of a Spirit-filled church is that the church is a church that believes that you receive, the first evidence of receiving the baptism of the Spirit is the speaking in tongues, or you receive that baptism through that evidence, or by that, or you give that evidence rather as you receive the baptism of the Spirit. The second, um, the second uh, marker of a spirit-filled church is this: that you manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So that speaking in tongues, like some people think, it's like the big manifestation that I've got it. It's and it's not. There are more powerful manifestations, and there are more important manifestations of being spirit-filled than just speaking in other tongues. Speaking in other tongues is an initial evidence. It is not fruit. It doesn't mean you're mature, it doesn't mean you've grown, it doesn't mean you've got the kind of character that God wants you to have. All it means is that God gave you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues is. But as we'll study here later on, there are more important manifestations or evidences of being filled with the Spirit than just speaking in other tongues. For example, the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody say amen. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit. and there are still other evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit that are absolutely crucial and important. And we'll talk about those evidences as, um, as we move along here. Now, think with me, please, for a few moments that there's a third evidence or marker of being a Spirit-filled church. And you'll forgive me, I'm kind of like in my teaching mode, right? And I may stay there, I may not. We'll see. But the third marker of a Spirit-filled church... Because I really want you to kind of get this in your head and in your minds and in hearts. The third marker of a spirit-filled church is the working of the gifts of the Spirit in the congregation or in your life. So there's three markers. The first one is you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second one is you're producing the fruit of of the Spirit in your life. And the third one is you're working in the spiritual gift that God has given you. Those gifts are different and diverse. For every member of the church. You say, well, what is a spirit-filled member? That is a member that is apostolic and that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And and so I want you to keep that in mind because today what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna kind of kind of focus my attention on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm gonna talk in fact let me just take a step back and say this. That more important than than more significant than than The evidence of speaking in other tongues is the evidence of the Spirit's fruit in your life. That doesn't mean that speaking in tongues is not important and that it doesn't have its place. It does. But if you had to tell me, Pastor, give me a church. A church that's always speaking in tongues. I mean just always speaking in tongues or a church that is producing the fruit of the Spirit. Which would you rather have? And the answer is going to be what? Fruit of the spirit every time. I want a loving people. I want a, a, a forgiving people. I want a people that are kind. I want people that are good. Not just I want. This is what the Lord is looking for. And it doesn't make a big difference if you're a tongue talker and you're a, and you're a person that isn't loving and isn't kind. It doesn't make a big impact in the in the world if you're a, always talking in tongues and always the first one to run the aisles or to roll over or to dance and all that kind of stuff, and you're, you're a mean person. See, we got to, there are things that are more important than the tongue talking, although the tongue talking has its place. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm not going to talk about those things, and I'm going to talk first of all about, the initial evidence or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see that. And, and, and again, it's interesting to me that that um, this doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of the most significant doctrines of the church. One of the biggest, most important events that takes place in the life of the church. I think that's true. I think that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is so very important for the church it's the, the, the one event that, that kicks the church off and gets the church going. Huge in its importance in the history of the church. It's gargantuan because it marked the beginning of the apostolic church. It marked the beginning of the spreading of the gospel to the entire world. And there's a, a lot of other reasons, I suppose, that we could mention why the Holy Spirit is um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is such an important doctrine in the church. And it's interesting that today, and for many, many years, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that has been one of the most criticized doctrines, one of the most debated doctrines, one of the most ridiculed doctrines. The fact that we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we manifest speaking in other tongues has been ridiculed from its very inception, from the very beginning The Bible tells us that the the apostles and all those that were gathered together began to speak in tongues. And the first thing people did when they looked at that, even though they heard them speaking in other tongues and magnifying God, they began to criticize them. So criticism, mockery, and all that kind of stuff has just been something that has accompanied this one manifestation of the gift of, of the spirit in the church throughout its entire history. And so it's not; it's it's been mocked, and it's also been hotly debated. Today, there's a tremendous debate, and for many, many centuries now, the church there's been a debate whether you have to speak in tongues or not speak in tongues as an evidence of having been filled with the Holy Spirit. There's been a a controversy and a debate about whether the gifts of the Spirit. The, the gift of healing and the gift of word of knowledge and tongues and interpretation, where those gifts are still in, in the church today. They're still functioning today. There's a huge debate amongst Christianity and been for a long time about that. Now, it's really interesting to me that perhaps after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most important event that takes place in the life of the church is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hugely important. And that one doctrine has been the center of the the, the the hottest debate that there's been in the church even till today. There's a lot of really prominent teachers today and, and in yesterday that have just denied whether a person should be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or whether the gifts of the Spirit or whether all of those things are, are, are evident or necessary in the church today. Cessationists are what they call, say that all that ended a long time ago. So again... When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about is a crucial doctrine. We can't get this one wrong. We've got to get this one right. So what you should be doing as you're listening to me teach on the Holy Spirit is you should be thinking critically. You should be hearing what I've got to say. You should be opening your Bibles. Or if you've got an iPad or whatever you've got, you should be looking at the scriptures and saying, okay, let's see if what pastor says is accurate and right. Because we've got to draw some conclusions regarding this baptism of the Spirit. If we get it wrong, some things are not going to work right in the church. And if we get this uh, doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit wrong, then the church is not going to enter into the fullness of everything that the church could be. This is an absolutely crucial doctrine for the church. Somebody just say amen. amen. I know you're listening, and I appreciate that. So the first thing that I'll say again is this, that we believe In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is what our church believes, evidenced by speaking in other tongues, at least the initial evidence is that we speak in other tongues. Now I'm going to take you through the scriptures, and I want you just to follow along with me, all right? And the first scripture we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Now, I usually like to just take a a scripture, a portion of scripture, and just kind of go through it and say this means this and whatever else, right? But today we're going to kind of jump around. We're going to jump around from the, in the New Testament from one book to the other book. And they're all going to be like on the same subject. They're all going to be on the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so we're going to try to, I'm not trying to justify a false doctrine or, that I have just taking this scripture and that one and then the other one and then the other one. All of these scriptures are Jesus and John the Baptist and the apostles either experiencing or talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So before Jesus Christ's ministry was even started, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, this guy's John the Baptist, and he's speaking. You guys know him by his testimony in the scriptures. Here's what it says. I indeed baptize you. In fact, I'd like for all of you to read it with me if you got the King James Version. It says this. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance... But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so there's been a big deal. There was a a congress that was was held some time ago by some cessationists. And I won't name them here now. Um, the, The Strange Fire was the name of their conference. And they made a big deal about fire. You know, Christians were all saying, send the fire, Lord, the fire, the fire. We need the fire of the Holy Ghost. And they criticized that and saying that fire speaks about judgment and fire is hell and all these kinds of ridiculous things. Well, John the Baptist said he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Fire is also a sign of cleansing, right? It's a cleansing power. And so I'm not going to get all caught up in that. What I am going to tell you is this. That the Bible says this, that he was going to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So our baptism, the baptism that is believers, we believe this is not Jesus. This is John the Baptist speaking. He's saying, look, I baptize you with water. This is the normative kind of baptism. Anyone can baptize with water if you're a priest or if you're a minister, whoever. It's not hard to baptize with water. That's a normal event. He says, but to baptize someone with the Holy Spirit, that's something that only God can do. And when the Messiah comes, Jesus, what he's going to do is he's going to baptize you, not with, just with water. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus baptized no one himself. When the Bible says that John the Baptist was baptizing and then Jesus began to baptize, he really didn't baptize anyone. It was his apostles that baptized. Well, why didn't Jesus baptize anyone at all with water? So that someone couldn't say, Jesus baptized me. No, that was the reason. The reason was because he didn't come to baptize with water. Jesus came to baptize with what? The Holy Ghost. His baptism was another baptism. It wasn't the baptism of repentance. It wasn't the baptism of turn away from your sins. It was the baptism of empowerment. It was the baptism of this is going to change your entire life. It is the baptism of the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be filled with the presence of Christ himself. I am going to give you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus never baptized anyone himself because his baptism was what? Baptism? Baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Again, here's John the Baptist speaking. And John the Baptist says this, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So even before Jesus comes, even before Jesus comes, there's already this talk, this message that is being preached by John the Baptist about this baptism that is going to take place. And it's going to be different from every other baptism that has ever taken place in the history of mankind, except upon very few and specific men like the prophets. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. This was going to be Jesus. And what that means is this, guys. It was going to make Jesus unique, different. He was going to be the one that was going to baptize, but even that was going to be in a different way. He was going to saturate us, but his baptism was inundate us, but his baptism was going to be different from every other baptism. Now, it's interesting that John says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, which is different, completely different element from water. His baptism is going to be radically different from the baptism that people normally experience. Well, listen, pastors can baptize you in water in the name of Jesus and others baptize erroneously in other ways, but in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. But pastors cannot baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That's something that only Jesus does. And so when you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here's what you do: you ask Him. The Bible says, in fact, brother, again, Brother Saul read the scripture this morning. If anyone wants the Holy Spirit, I gotta do is ask him. Because he's the giver. Everyone say, he's the giver. So whenever you're pursuing the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you don't come to look for the most anointed man. You don't come to look for the man that's prayed over a thousand people and everyone got it. Those are great men of God and I take nothing away from them. They're anointed men. But you know who you look to? You look to Jesus. Because it is Jesus that's the giver, not man. It's not the pastor, not the minister, not the bishop. It's Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that's really important, and I'll tell you why that's important. Because as you're pursuing the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you should be looking to him. Your prayers should be to him. He'll make every fear dissipate. He'll make every, every doubt dissipate. He'll give you assurance. Because he's a wonder worker, folks. He is a miracle worker. And he promised that he would do it, and if he promised he'll do it, he is able to do it. And I give God the praise and the glory for that. Now go with me to John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. John chapter 7, verse 37 and 39. Look at what the scripture is saying. I want you to read with me in a loud voice. These are such important scriptures. It says this. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when was the Holy Spirit going to be given according to the scripture? When Jesus was what? When Jesus was glorified, when the Savior, not on the cross, not in the tomb, when the Savior has been glorified, then at that moment, after the, the, the resurrection of Christ, the, the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out upon the people of God. And that's a great thing. Notice how it's described here in this verse. Again in verse 38. He that believeth on me as the scripture had said everyone say out of his belly. Well now that's 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 a nice word but the real the real idea that's being communicated is out of his innermost being. Speaking in tongues is not something that someone can work you up into and if it is you, you know you need a you need to keep trying. Cuz it's not like you know I And I'm not going to imitate all that stuff, but it's not someone works you into receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It comes from here. It doesn't depend on the music and on everything else. It could be going around you. It's something that's going to come from the very inside of you. And it's going to, from your innermost being. That's what the belly was. It was the innermost part of you. God fills you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the natural result of that, as we'll see in a few moments in the scripture... Is that you speak in another tongue and glorify God in that language? Jack Hayford is a is a was was a he's now a retired pastor. If he's still alive, I don't know that he is, but um, he wrote a book that's called The Beauty of Spiritual Language. It's it's a wonderful book. I read it, and uh, years ago, and I remember that um, in his book, he talks about 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 speaking in another tongue as something that's it's beautiful. It's not it's not what sometimes. I mean, it can manifest any way in your life, but it's just, it's a beautiful not only experience, but just speaking in another tongue is, is in the context of the beauty of glorifying the name of God. You're not just uttering, as some people say that have criticized Pentecost back in the day of, uh, of Azusa Street and since then, that it's just gibberish. It's, un, it's, it's inutterable speech that really is nonsensical and has no No, it's none of that. There's a beauty to the language that we speak because what we're doing, something that's coming from the very innermost part of you, it's a kind of intimate worship that you can't have, you can't utter, you can't think, you're not bright enough, you're not grand enough, you're not eloquent enough to express what only the Spirit himself can express. And so whenever the Spirit of God gets a hold of you and he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, in fact... It was, I think, C.S. Lewis said that we are baptized once and again and again and again and again for the rest of our lives. And for every time that we've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, we know the beauty of that experience of speaking in tongues, of glorifying God, and, and, and the wonderful building up of your heart and your soul that that is. We are an apostolic Pentecostal church. We believe in the outpouring of. Of the spirit of our great God. Somebody just give the Lord a hand praise, right now. And I think that's true. Now, listen, Jesus told his disciples, You're gonna get the Holy Ghost, you're gonna get the Holy Spirit. It's it's gonna be an experience that's gonna happen, it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. He that believes on me, believers receive this experience. You see that in verse number 38? He that believeth on me. He that believeth on me. Verse 38. As the scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And again, verse 39 clarifies that he was talking about the baptism or about the Holy Ghost. Now look at Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Because what we want to see here is is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a sign. Whether the speaking in the tongues is a sign. Mark 16, 17 says this, of believers. Now that doesn't mean that every believer is going to drink something that's poisonous and no harm. It doesn't mean that every believer is going to, uh, uh, you know, cast out devils. Not necessarily. And it doesn't, uh, and some have argued, nor does it mean that all believers are going to speak in other tongues. Well, this scripture is not making a statement about who will and who will not. And whether it's everyone or just a few. That's not the purpose of the scripture. What the scripture is trying to say is that there are going to be certain signs that are going to follow those that believe. And here are the signs. and At least some of them. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name. Everyone say in my name. Shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And we'll stop there. Because that's, that's the subject today, right? So the Bible tells us that Jesus said to the disciples, you're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then after the resurrection, after he has risen, he gathers his disciples together on this occasion. And he tells them, listen, fellas, you're going to, there's going to be signs that are going to follow those that believe in the name of Jesus. And one of those signs that's going to follow those that believe in the name of Jesus is that they're going to be tongue talkers. They're going to receive, they're going to speak in another or in a new language or in a new tongue. That was part of what Jesus said was going to be an experience that people were going to receive. Speaking in tongues is a sign. Say that with me. Speaking in tongues is a sign. It's a sign of what? Well, The Bible is going to clarify that in the book of Acts for us. But Jesus Christ said that speaking in tongues is a sign. Now go with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And I told you we're going to be jumping from one text to the other, and that's okay. We're all on the same subject, and we're moving along from John the Baptist to Jesus before he was uh, uh, crucified to Jesus after he's been uh, resurrected. And now Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, again, it's talking about the time when Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And he's gathered his disciples together and he's giving them commandments. Here's what the Bible says. And being assembled together with them, his disciples, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he... What saith he, ye have heard of me? For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So listen to what at least four things that I'm, I'm looking at or I'm seeing in this scripture. First of all, I'm seeing this, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an imperative. It's an essential, right? Come on, someone just say amen to me back. Right, it's an essential. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, "Listen, guys, don't." He didn't tell them, guys. I, I just uh, forgive me. Listen, apostles, listen, my disciples, listen, friends, whatever he called them. All right, listen. You're gonna go to Jerusalem and, and he says, "I don't want you to leave. I command you not to leave Jerusalem. You stay in Jerusalem until you get the baptism of the Father. So it's an imperative. Whatever. It's going to happen in that baptism for the disciples. Whatever is going to take place for them there, it's going to be an absolute essential. That's why he says, you don't leave until you get the baptism. And it's not just going to be an essential for the apostles, as some say. Well, yeah, the apostles were the miracle workers, and the apostles were the ones that, that did all these fantastic things. No. It's 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 um, it's a command to all believers that are Jerusalem, because they're all going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just the apostles. And so the baptism is an essential. It's an imperative. We have not yet resolved for what. We won't do that until two weeks from now, or or, or a week from now. But but um, but it's an imperative. It's important. It's essential. For everyone that's not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you're a member of our church, I want to tell you right now that you're missing something that's really important. It's really important. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Say amen. Amen. We're a spirit-filled church. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now look at the second thing that I see here, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a promise from God. Read it with me. All of you together. Leave the scripture up, would you please? And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but should wait. Listen to this now. For the promise of whom? The Father. Who promised the baptism of the Holy Ghost? The Father promised the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now that's important. You know why? Because our God has has a testimony. Our God has a history. And here's the history of God. It might take thousands of years. Not for this necessarily. It might take thousands of years. But I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Our God will not fail. Whatever God promises to do, it's going to come to pass. Oh, somebody needs to give God praise and glory right now. It's going to come to pass in my life, in your life. But it's going to come to pass. And so Jesus said, listen, this promise is not from me. The promise comes from way back there. It comes from the Father. Come on, open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Joel. And in the book of Joel, we find a promise from the Father to us. And it's the promise that we're going to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a promise in Isaiah about being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, or rather, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Look at verse 28 with me, please. And here's what it says. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, Your young men shall see visions. So who gave the promise that we were going to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It isn't Jesus. It's the Father. The Father that cannot lie. The Father that has fulfilled every promise that he has ever made. The Father did have to set kingdoms aside and kings out of their thrones and set the path himself to make sure that every promise that he made to the people of God would be fulfilled. Hey, if you'll ask God for the Holy Ghost, he'll fill you with the Holy Ghost. This is a promise from the Father. Somebody say amen. Look at the third thing I see in the scripture is this. That the baptism was um, was also foretold by Jesus. And we've read those scriptures, haven't we? At least one or two of them. Where Jesus said, hey, you're going to get the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's going to come from the very inside of you. And then he said, if you'll just ask God, he'll give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost because he loves you. Isn't that interesting? that God's motivation to fill us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost is that he loves us. It's a motivation. It's the, it's the perfect motivation so that every child of his that comes before the Lord in faith, believing, asking, he'll give it to them. Oh, So Jesus promised, he foretold that it would happen. In fact, he commanded them. That's the last thing. Rather, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in this text, would not happen many days in the future. It would happen soon. And so what we have is this, these texts that are, that, are, that are establishing for us this super important event in the history of the church. We are going to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to be different from water. It's going to be different from anything you have ever experienced in your life. It's going to be a a transformative experience. It's going to be an empowering experience. It's going to be God lavishing you with his love. He's going to do it because he loves us. This baptism of the Holy Spirit was a promise that the Father made and that Jesus foretold during his ministry and that he commanded his disciples to do. I'm about done. Praise God. All right. I appreciate you, Sister Evangelina. I was about to say praise God myself. Is it early? It is. Praise God. I'm gonna take my time on this, guys, because this is super important. All right? I'm going go little bits at a time. I'm not going to give you too much. We're just going to take it a little bit at a time. And we're going to assimilate. We're going to become that church that is hungering after God. Hungering after the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that is hungering to see the spiritual gifts manifested in our presence. In the, in the church. And we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit flourish in every one of our lives. We're going to be... a we are a spirit-filled church. So let me, let me take you to the, the one text, and I'll end here um, in a few moments. And, and I'll say this. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says this. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, read it with me, all of us together, if you would. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it, all, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire, and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me just make a couple of observations. Go back to verse 1, guys. Here's what it says. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Everyone say God has his times. Don't get desperate. Don't get upset. You say it's been a while. I've been asking God, hey, don't don't worry about it. When the fullness of time was come, Your fullness of time is coming. Don't Don't let fear get in there. Don't let doubt get in there. Don't let an argument that you have against this get in there. Don't let some false teacher get in there. Just listen. There is a fullness of time. And it's coming. Everyone say it's coming. It's coming coming upon you. God's going to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to enjoy that wonderful relationship with God. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, listen to this. We cannot underestimate this. They were all with one accord in one place. Everyone say one accord. That means unity. You know what it means? It means we all must desire the same thing. Listen, I'm going to say it again. Every one of us must desire the same thing. Every time we're in one place, everyone say one place. They were in one accord. Where? In one place. When we gather together like we're gathered together this morning, we must be of one mind. Come on, somebody say amen. We must be, right. We must be pursuing the presence of god we must be pursuing the exaltation of the son of god we must be pursuing praise and worship and and the glorification of him who died for us on calvary and rose again for our complete deliverance we should be of one mind everyone say one mind we should be worshipers we should be praisers We should be thanksgivers. We should be in unison as we gather in this place. We should set aside our interests and set aside our ideas and set aside our problems and set aside our conferences or bring them to the presence of Jesus even better. But we must be absolutely set in this determination. We are going to come into the presence of God and we're going to experience the outpouring of the power of the Spirit of God amongst us. Come on, somebody give him praise right now. We must pursue him, folks. We must pursue an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So we've got to pursue every service. Say, every service. Every time we're gathered together. Say, every time. We must pursue him. That outpouring of the power of God in our midst. It will change everything. You know it's true. When Jesus Christ steps into the scene, everything changes. When Jesus Christ chooses to manifest himself, everything changes. The environment changes. Everything becomes possible because Jesus Christ is here. So they were in one accord. Say one accord. So now let me just say this. We don't all worship the same. Some of us are more um, serene, more, more uh, uh, uh Contemplative, if that's a word, than others. Others of us are more emotive, and you know, like my wife and I, we shout "Glory to God" and "Hallelujah" and "Paz de and all that stuff while we're worshiping. And others of you aren't that much. You know, you're not that express. That's fine. That's fine. There's people that like to roll and dance. I don't. I don't do that. You know, never have done it. I tried it once and it didn't work out that good, so I stopped doing it. You know. And um, so I don't do that very much, but. But listen, we all do the, the point is we're all looking for the same thing because we know that when he steps into this service, I don't care whether you're conservative, reserved, or or ext- extrovert and outgoing, we all know he he got here. He's here right now, he's here, and even if you're not feeling nothing and he comes, you know there's there, something changes, and we just acknowledge his presence. In our midst. And it's more than an emotion. It's the presence of Jesus Christ. When we gather in one place, we have to be of the same mind. Say we're pursuing him. You guys with me on that? We're going we're gonna to make every service a pursuit of Jesus Christ. A pursuit of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And whatever you have to do to make that happen, hey, let, let's, let's pursue him. Look at verse number 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Verse 3, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire. Now, let me just say this about that. The infilling of the Holy Spirit in the first instance, the first time that it ever happened, happened with supernatural uh, one-time sign. They'll never happen again. They've, they've not happened again, not normatively in the church If you get the Holy Ghost, don't expect a little flame of fire. You know, it's not going to happen more than likely. Or a rushing mighty wind, it's more than likely not going to happen. Those are signs that happened on that day to impress in the mind of the apostles, God just came into this house. But I will tell you this, it may not be cloven tongues of fire and it may not be the sound of a rushing mighty wind. But it will be some form of manifest presence of God. Oh, somebody say amen. Amen. You might get a little tingling or just this sense of weight that is coming to the sanctuary or in your life or this deepened sense of reverence and worship or this sense of awe. I don't know what what that manifestation is going to be for you at that very moment. It might be yelling and shouting and praising. I don't know what it's going to be. But I'll tell you this, when Jesus comes into the house, something extraordinary is going to happen. (laughs) It's going to happen. Something different is going to take place. And that's what happened. Tongues of fire and wind, rush, sound of a rushing mighty wind was the manifestation of the spirit on that day. And it doesn't have to happen all the time. And it does not all the time. But, but it did on that day. They, but the point is there will be and there is a supernatural manifestation of the presence of God. Verse number 4. Read it with me with a loud voice. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Again, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, for all that controversy about whether Christians should be filled or not filled, speak in tongues or not speak in tongues, let me just say this, all right. Acts 2 church, everyone's got it. How did the church start off? With only the apostles getting the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues and others not? No. The church began with everyone speaking in tongues. Everyone got it. Come on, say everyone got it. And I think that it's very important for us to go back to first instances. Like the book of Genesis is an absolutely central book. Essential because it's first things are happening. First man, first woman, first instance of sin, first temptation, first everything that's going on. In, 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 uh, in the book of, of, of Genesis, it's absolutely important because it's foundational. It establishes something that's, that, that's going to create precedence. Well, in the book of Acts, it's the same thing. God is just trying to show us. He didn't say some of them got the Holy Ghost. Everyone got it. You know how the church started off? Everyone gets the Holy Ghost. Now you get all of your theological arguments and that's fine. But I'm just going to get you back to Acts. Let's go back to the first time when the church was born. It wasn't just some of them. Everyone got it. And so I'm going to take from that that it's the will of God that everyone in the church be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. With the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Praise God. All right, someone say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So... All right, they all got it. And how do we know they got it? Look at verse, the last part of verse number 4. And began to speak, read it out loud with me. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in, in this church, we're not going to do the la-la thing. We're not going to do that. We're going to let the Holy Ghost give you the tongues. Amen. All right, say Amen. We're going to let the Holy Ghost deal with you. You say, what am I going to say as you're you're raising your hands? Give me the Holy Spirit. What am I going to say? Don't worry about it. God's going to give you the tongues. Stammering lips in another tongue, said Isaiah in Isaiah 28. I'm going to speak to these people another prophecy of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit of God is going to be poured out upon all believers. Well, how are we going to know they got the Holy Ghost? We're going to see them and hear them speak in another tongue. So, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. Absolutely right. It doesn't make sense. Well, I don't understand it. Right. It's a miracle, it's a supernatural thing. And it happens in the life of every believer. Say, every believer. Okay. Let's stand. Pentecost is so important in the church. And I'll tell you two reasons why I think it's important. First of all, and I'll elaborate on this next week a little bit more. Because it marked the presence of Jesus Christ forever with the church. So we don't have to doubt and wonder. I don't feel nothing. Is he here? <laughs> yeah. I'm going through a hard time. I really feel miserable. Is he here? Hey, I'm so happy you couldn't make me happier. Is he here? Pentecost marks the beginning of the presence of Christ in the church forever. And the second reason that Pentecost is important is because Pentecost meant that we as believers were being empowered by Christ Himself to win our world for Jesus. And it's for us, guys. This is for us. And it's for you this morning. So what I have to do, Pastor, you just believe. And you ask. If you've not been filled with With the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let it not just be the day that you're asking. And for everyone that's been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, I prayed for people to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Young people in the church will say, God, fill them with the Holy Ghost. And and fill them with the Holy Ghost. And sometimes people kind of look at me like, I already got it. No, I know you got it, but I'm not saying you lost it, but we're constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been right. You've been in the church for 30 years. Or maybe like me, you've been in the church for 48 years, baptized in Jesus' name, and then a, a, a you know a 20-year-old deacon lays his or minister lays his hands on you. Jesus, fill him with the Holy Ghost. I'm not saying, little rookie. I'm saying, right, 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 fill me with the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because I don't care who it is. Just give it to me, Lord. Leave need to be filled with the presence of God, the Holy Ghost, Got to move in our services, move in our lives. We need His presence, and I. whether I feel Him, I don't feel Him. I know that He's here because He promised to be with us, but I'm feeling it right now. So why don't we let the worship team just lead us in worship and praise, and if you're somebody that needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're a believer, you've never received it, or maybe you, you, you have just heard about this, and you say, you know what, if... I want Jesus in my heart. And and if getting the Holy Spirit is one way to get Jesus, then I'll take it. I want the baptism. I want to invite you to come to this altar, and we'll pray for you. And and you just come and ask the Lord to fill you. And if you're a believer, and you say, I got the Holy Ghost back in 1975, forever. And you say, I want it again. I want to be filled one more time. You come. We're an apostolic Pentecostal church. We're spirit-filled you're struggling in your Christian life, and you need an empowering of the Holy Spirit right now, just say, I want it, Father, I want it. Give it to me. In faith, believing, trusting, and the power of the Holy Spirit.